Hello and welcome back to Purple Glow Pod. I'm your co-host Liv and this is our bonus episode, episode 1.5. It's our full conversation with artist Sydney Cooney. Uh, we give you a bit of a taste of this conversation in our last episode, episode one, um, but this is the full thing. And we had a great time. We talked about uh, COVID-19, of course, politics, sustainability, uh culture we, we talked about so many things and we really had a great time so thank you again to sydney for coming on the pod with us just like last week too you may notice there are some uh sound inconsistencies definitely a couple technical difficulties our audio got a little bit messed up last week um but we fixed everything we've got new equipment in and things will be all set for episode two and this is a reminder that if you like us and you want to help us, the best thing you can do is hit that subscribe button, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, um, or leave us a review. You don't even have to review the podcast, you know, tell us anything. What's your favorite color? How many things have you online shopped? What do you think about taxes? Let us know. And yeah, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode coming next week. We are here with the lovely Sydney Cooney. Hello. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit just like about yourself and, and yeah. Uh, what yeah, you yeah, do? What you do in the arts. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so I am 21 years old, turning 22 this year in August. Uh, I am, geez, I don't know how <laughs> I describe myself. I am an artist. I do oil painting primarily, but I, I like to experiment with different mediums. You know, I do sewing, I do, uh, you know, clothing design and jewelry design. And I'm really big into feminism and environmental activism. So I just got back from a trip, an art residency, kind of pursuing that and thankfully was able to get home because in this craziness, it <laughs> almost didn't happen. So I'm really grateful to be back. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um your journey coming home and what it was like to be abroad finding out about everything happening yeah for sure I uh so I think that I mean this has been going on since you know last year October I believe is when it sort of started but I personally do not watch the news (laughs) period like I don't Uh, like my family used to watch it a lot when we were younger and I honestly just got so stressed out by it so I never watched the news so I didn't know really that any of this was going on I had heard of of coronavirus before I left but it wasn't really a big threat and it wasn't really freaking anybody out so I kind of was thinking I'm like oh this is the perfect time for me to be going away like for this art residency in the beginning of March so I left end of February and I left for March I was like this is amazing like I'll get out of the Canadian cold winter and you know I'll be in Africa and enjoying the sun so it was the residency was in uh, West Africa in Gambia um, and I was working with uh, the Fandema International School and the Women's Development Center. And I was working with women and children and teaching them art workshops. And we did murals together. And it was, it was really fun. It was a really good time. Uh, of course, it came with ups and downs, which is a whole story. But that I won't go into because that's a different <laughs> conversation. But uh, yeah, I, I think we were around maybe two weeks, three weeks into the residency when we started, you know, hearing about everything that was going on around the world and you know it still was pretty far away from from Gambia so we were like okay like this is probably okay 
And uh, then everybody was saying like, oh, Sydney, it's good that you're in Gambia because it's getting crazy in Canada. So like, enjoy while you're there. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and, and then it turned out that there were like cases all over the world and everything started shutting down. So I started to freak out a little bit and I was with one other artist resident and um, oh my God, I just realized I haven't been recording on my phone, sorry. <laughs> That is okay. I'll start now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I found out that like we had to go early. So the other art resident, she actually had a grant to cover her all of her expenses. Uh, so the people who covered her grant, her grant, they got her home within like two days. So she went back. Yeah, they she had like very little notice. So she went back really early, but I didn't have anybody to cover my grant. Like I had to pay it out of pocket. And um, so I started to try to figure out my schedule and, and rearrange things. And I moved my flight up. I moved my flight up to like a week before I was supposed to leave. Um, and it was the earliest flight that I could get. It was like in a few days after the day that I booked it. So I booked it for the, 20, the 20th, the 20th. And uh, it cost me a lot of money. It cost me $700 to change my flight on top of having already paid for all the flights. So then I was like, okay, great. Um, and then I got information that the airline that I was going to be flying with was going to be closing all their flight operations from the 21st onwards. And I was like, okay, I'm okay. Cause it's the 20th. Like I- I'm, I'm good. I fly out the day before it closes. And regardless, they changed my flight two times and then they canceled it completely. And I tried to get back in touch with my travel agency. Nobody was picking up. It was like impossible to reach them. So I was like, maybe I should just go to the airport to try to get a flight. Uh, And then I found out that the Gambian airport was closed and like the entire airspace in Gambia. So I was like, I don't know how to get home at this point. So that's when I started to really like panic. Uh, And the border between Gambia and Senegal was still open. So I kind of made a run for it. Like I tried to flee the country and um, I got a ferry, I got a taxi to a ferry And then off the ferry, I got another taxi to the border of Senegal where I stamped through. Then I got another taxi to a driver who took me in another car. It was just like the most chaotic night uh, in another car to try to get to Dakar, which is the capital of of Senegal. And it was a very long drive. It was like six to eight hours driving to try to get to the airport, which I didn't anticipate. I thought it was going to be like 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) And... When we finally got to Dakar, it was also closed. So I was like, I'm now stuck in Africa, very far away from my home, and also in a country where I don't know anybody. So I didn't know anyone in Senegal. The only people who I knew were in Gambia, and I think that they had already closed the border by that time, so it wasn't like I could get back. Um, And I didn't have any money left because I had spent all of my money on getting to the airport. So I literally had no money. I couldn't access my bank account and I couldn't access my bank either. Like I tried to call them. I tried to email them. Nobody was like answering. And obviously I'm also across the world. So like I can't really get in touch very easily. So I'm out there with like nobody and no money and like nowhere to go. And the people in the taxi with me are like, so do you like have any place to stay? I'm like, nope. They're like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. And I literally was just like, at that point, I kind of resigned to the fact that I just had no way of getting back. Like I had no 
plan for the future. And also, you know, my brain was cycling through like worst case scenarios with my anxiety being like, I'm going to be here forever. I don't know if I'm ever going to be home. Like, what if this is the apocalypse? Like, is this going to be the end of everything? And it was a very scary moment. Um, and I was just like sitting in the back of the car and I had decided, I was like, I'm going to get out and sleep outside of the airport. Cause I have nowhere else to go. So like, what am I supposed to do? But I, I was just paralyzed. Like I couldn't even move. So I was kind of just sitting in the car and they went into, uh, you may not know, but in Senegal, Dakar airport is not actually in Dakar, which is weird, but that's the way that it is. So they continued on to the, the capital. And so I just stayed in the car cause I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know where else to go. Um, and thankfully I had some like incredible people in the car who I complete strangers. I didn't know who they were and they were like, we're going to get you to a hotel for the night, which I was like so thankful for. Cause I had decided that I was just going to be like sleeping on the dirt somewhere. Like I was homeless cause I had nothing. So I couldn't even pay for like the taxi to get to the hotel. They had to pay for it for me. And they, they also paid for the night in the hotel, which I was really glad for. Um, what, it was a very strange hotel. <laughs> I don't know if it was actually a hotel, but it was like, it looked like a nightclub for some reason from the outside. Like there were like flashing rave lights and like these really sketchy looking dudes outside. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> but I also had nowhere else to go. So I was like, I guess that this is where I'm going. Um, so I went in and, and I found like the hotel room and it was like, there were holes in the walls and there was like no sink in the bathroom <laughs> and the toilet didn't work and the shower didn't work and there were cockroaches all over everything. And I was like, ah, <laughs> um, but the good thing is I did have Wi-Fi, and the outlet, even though like all the wires were exposed and sticking out, it did work. So I was able to charge my phone and like call my family back home and like be like, Hey, can you please send me some money? Because that was the other thing I had called them earlier, or I had talked to them earlier on the phone through uh, one of the people in the car's hotspot. Uh, but because I was so like panicked and frantic and I was like, can you please send me money? They thought somebody had stolen my phone. So they're like, no, we're not going to send you money. <laughs> so I was like, I'm dead. I'm so screwed. Um, but after like I got to the hotel and I had, I could call them like video call them. They saw that it was actually me and they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to send you some money and make sure you get to like a safe hotel for tomorrow. Cause I also did not know anything about the hotel and it was like really sketchy. I didn't know where I was. Um, but I was able to have some people like help me out and friends from home. Everybody was really supportive. I will say that was like one of the, the most amazing things that I didn't expect was that everyone who was like in my community reached out and was so, so helpful and so comforting in that time when I was like at my wits end, like I was absolutely freaking out. But, uh, when I like posted on social media, just basically saying what the updates were. Cause earlier on in the day, I, I put like a little Instagram story being like, I'm coming home. And then <laughs> later it was literally me being like, they canceled my flight. I'm going to a different country. I don't know where I am. Everybody's like, Sydney, what is going on with you? Um, but people were super, super amazing and helpful. And I had some friends who looked up a new hotel for me. So the next day I went to a different hotel. The same strangers in my car actually were amazing. They took me there as well. They helped me like get settled in. They helped me go to like get food from a supermarket. Um, so from there on out, it was like, okay. 
but uh, I had to like the hotel that I stayed in was really really expensive. So eventually I moved on to stay with a missionary. It was a long week. <laughs> it was a long week. <laughs> eventually I moved on to stay with uh, a missionary who uh, it was much less expensive staying with them, and their stay- place was really really nice. Um, but yeah, I was stranded in Senegal for a week after I intended to be there because I wasn't able to get any flights. I'd signed up with the embassy, but like nothing was happening. They were like, we'll contact you. And they didn't really do anything. So I was kind of just like, what is going on? And I just like more than anything wanted to be home. And it was, I feel like it was just a very funny irony because so many people were like, I can't stand being at home. I'm stuck. Like I'm so, you know, what's the word? It's stir crazy. Yeah, because everybody was saying, they're like, I want to get out of home. I'm like, you have no idea what I would give to be home right now. Um, But I I got a tip from a friend who said, I heard a rumor about like a Delta Airlines flight leaving from Senegal. Like I immediately was like, okay, thank you. I like hung up the phone and I like looked it up right away. There were five seats left and I was able to book one of the seats from Senegal to New York. And uh, I got to New York they took me into cust. What is it called? What's the word? Like holding. Holding. There's another like one. Customs, yeah. Yeah. No. 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 It wasn't customs. It was like, uh, when they like take you aside because they think you're dangerous. Okay, oh, yeah. that like security it. check. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were full like, body pat down. down. Yeah, they like. Well, no, it was more like they took me into a separate room and they like interrogated me, and I was like, "What is happening?" Yeah, because they were like, "What are you doing here?" And I was like, "I'm trying to go home." <laughs> but uh, thankfully, they like let me go, so that was good, and and I was able to get a flight to Toronto within a few hours, which was amazing. Uh, and then I got to Toronto. I had, again, my amazing friends who, like, I had a whole bunch of people being like, where can we send you money? Like, how can we help? Everyone was, like, doing outreach, sending emails to the embassy, sending emails to, like, parliament and to my, I think, my M- PM, my MP. Jesus, I always get this mixed up. It's either PM or MP. <laughs> One of my, uh, like, government members uh, who was specific to, I guess, my area. Everybody was sending emails and like trying to connect and trying to get my story out there just so that people could help to get me home. And that was like really the moral support that I needed at that time because I was super, super stressed out. I didn't think I would make it home, at least for a few months. Um, But I got back to Toronto and then my friends actually sent an Uber for me to take me home, which was so wonderful. And I got home and I was just like having a meltdown. I was so, so relieved to be back. But um, yeah, it was chaos. (laughs) yeah that sounds really terrifying yeah for sure definitely like a roller coaster of emotion absolutely absolutely. in that story how long was your um residency supposed to be for so it was supposed to be a month long uh and I ended up staying pretty much for a month because uh although a week of it was spent being stranded in Senegal and not knowing anything but yeah it was supposed to be a month long so it wasn't cut too, too short, but I did feel like uh, a bit disappointed and a little bit sad that I wasn't able to stay with them as long as I wanted. But the good thing is I'm still connected with them, so I'm still going to be able to hopefully work with them again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so how are you like doing now, now that you're back home? <laughs> how are you adjusting? Because it's also super strange. Like you're at your home, you're in the comfort of your home, but reality isn't the same anymore. So how are you adjusting to it's that? It's very true. It's, um, it's strange. It's strange to say the least. 
because it feels like everything happened so fast. And I know that that's like kind of a common theme. A lot of people are like, this all happened so fast. And it's just, uh, it was weird because when I left, it felt like I was like, this is the perfect time for me to be leaving and it's, it's going to be great and I'm going to go back. And I had all these ideas and plans for, you know, how my future would look. And all of that kind of just got thrown out the window uh, with, with the changes that were happening so fast. And, you know, when the hysteria set in and there was so much panic everywhere and, you know, people didn't know what to do and people were stocking up and, you know, going into full lockdown mode and, and it feels very much like I, I have come home, but I came home to a different home than what I knew. Mm-hmm. So it did feel very, uh, very disorienting. Um, and also just the, I, I think more than anything, it was the panic that I had when I was not home and feeling like I would never be able to come home that, that has kind of just left a bit of a, a bit of trauma in a way to deal with. Um, but I am, I am very grateful to be home and I'm settling in. Okay. You know, I've been in my apartment for a while now and just chilling out though. The, the, the craziness is never over with me (laughs) being that I'm actually going to be moving out of my apartment within the month. So (laughs) there's that as well. Yeah. There's, it never ends. It never ends. Was that planned ahead of time? Um, Sort of, but not fully like sort of, uh, I don't really, I can't afford to stay in this apartment is the reality of the situation. So I'm like, I don't actually have much of a choice. Like I have to move out. (laughs) So uh, I have to move out in this time. And it's just like, I don't even know how it's going to work. If my building's going to let me move out, if, you know, moving companies are available. I don't think moving companies are even available, but the good thing is I... I heard that they're an essential service. Maybe look into it. I think things are on hold because my grandparents actually moved like the day before the city shut down really so like they just made it but the people who were supposed to move in to their condo that they left weren't allowed to really yeah okay well I'm praying that I'll be able to move out because your girl can't afford rent so uh the good thing is that I do have um like my uncle he owns a he's like a contractor so he has a lot of like connections and I think that he's hopefully going to be able to get a truck to help me to move out. Um, if that's even like, even if my, my condo allows me to move out, but I do have to be moving very soon. Um, the original intention was to move in with, stay with my grandparents, uh, while I renovate an RV that I'm going to be living in. Like that's my, oh, my whole plan. That's super cool. Yeah. Which I'm excited for. Cause like, I've never been someone who needs a ton of space. I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. happy with smaller spaces and I've learned a lot about sustainability and conservation uh, when I was in the art residency and also uh, just being home now, I've been doing a ton of research on it and, you know, sustainability and health and veganism and all sorts of stuff. So it's been cool. And and I have like a lot of ideas for how to create uh, like an environmentally friendly vehicle that, that I can, you know, sustain my lifestyle and at the same time not be harmful to the environment, which is my ultimate goal. So uh, I was originally going to be moving in with my grandparents, but given all of the craziness, I honestly don't want (laughs) to, I love them. I don't want to be anywhere near them because I don't want to put them at risk. So I'm like trying to uh, distance myself as much as possible from them because I like, I just want them to be safe. And um, I haven't been leaving my apartment at all. I only left it like one time to go and see the new place and um, at once to go and get groceries, which was the other day. 
but I'm not going to be moving in with my grandparents now. Now I'm going to be moving in with my uncle's family into their basement apartment for a little bit while I renovate a farmhouse that I could live in, which is on his like property way up north. And then I'm going to move into that farmhouse and renovate an RV that I can finally move into. <laughs> nice. So it's going to be like a lot of, a lot more chaos yet to come, but <laughs> it's... Chaos I think, can be good sometimes. Yeah, I think it'll be good to be up north. I'm excited to be like up north because firstly, there's chickens. So yes, <laughs> that makes me very happy. I just love animals. So there will be chickens around and there's like a, a dog on his land too. So that's wonderful. So... I'll be able to hang out with them. And uh, it's also nice because like up north, obviously there's way less concentration of people. So it's like way less likely to contract the virus or pass the virus on. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's, that's, that's kind of got me a a little bit stressed just with all of the moving and all of the, you know, I'm already in the process of packing up my apartment and I do love this space. So it's another thing to be like, goodbye to my beautiful home. But then also to know that, you know, I'll be able to make something work in the future. That's kind of just my motto is like, I'll make it work. (laughs) Whenever I don't really know, I'm just like, I'll make it work. It's a good motto. Um, Yeah. You kind of touched on it already talking about your living situation and moving right now. But in what other ways do you find as an arts worker, you're Mm. being impacted right now? And are there any tools or resources that you've found helpful, either financially or as an emotional support at this time? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think that, the arts sector is is suffering maybe even one of the most like it's suffering one of it's one of the most how how do i how do i word this yeah it's getting impacted really heavily by covid-19 more than other sectors i think mm-hmm. yes that's mm-hmm. that's what i'm trying to say i don't want to be like <laughs> it is the most impacted but like i know that it is being heavily impacted that's the word yeah, for yeah. It. it was quite fragile already so <laughs> i mean for sure that's the that's the the difficulty of of being in the art sector right is that it's quite uh it's quite inconsistent it, mm-hmm. you're, like the work schedule it's very unpredictable so you kind of have to be able to roll with it, which I think is something that has allowed, you know, arts workers to prepare for this in a way is that we're kind of used to rolling with it to a certain extent. But then at the same time, it is very damaging to not have the platform that we used to have in terms of, you know, public spaces and galleries. And, and that was, you know, a major part of, of, I know my own practice was, was doing galleries. And one of the things I was really excited for coming back from the art residency was, being able to continue making artwork and putting it up in galleries and, you know, reaching out to more spaces to be able to put my work out. And now that that's not really available, it's kind of been a little bit of a a tricky adjustment for me. Um, I do have a website, which is helpful because I can at least put my art up there. And I have been sharing some blogs about some of my adventures, which has been fun. Um, But in terms of like creating something a little bit longer lasting and more sustainable for my arts practice, that's something that I'm definitely still working on and, and trying to, you know, figure out. It's, it's a very new thing to deal with. Um, I, I don't know of a ton of, like, opportunities yet that I've found for uh, sort of more digital work, but I do have a, f- a few ideas of things that I want to do. Like, I want to I apply to a whole bunch of grants. I want to apply to a ton of grants. <laughs> and I also would love to teach, like, art workshops and art classes mm-hmm. because that's something that being in Gambia, I really love doing. I love teaching the kids and the women art classes. So I want to continue that work digitally with them and also hopefully with other people in 
uh, actually anywhere, because that's the beauty of, of the digital world is that you can do it anywhere. But I think for right now, I'm kind of like just focused on the move. And then after I kind of get settled, then I'll be able to really get my head back in the game of like, okay, how are we going to make money? <laughs> and yeah. be able to I think survive. earlier you said something like, um, uh, no one can really predict the future anymore. So it's a lot of like taking things day by day. And I feel like that's a big obstacle for a lot of people, especially in the art sector right now is like, okay, like we just need to get through like today and tomorrow. And then maybe we can think about like two months down the line. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, and that's like a really important thing. And, and one of the things that on my website, I have like a message of the month that I change every month. And the most recent one was something that I think is really important to bring up in this conversation as well, which is that you don't need to be productive right now. And I think that that's an important thing to know because you know, we all want to be productive. We all want to seamlessly move from going outside to being indoors and like, hell yeah, I have a virtual meeting at 10 and then I have this at this time, you know, and like, that would be great if I was able to schedule my life like that and if everyone was. But the reality is that for a lot of people, that's not, you know, that's not going to be realistic. And it's, it's, it's okay to understand that this is a time of crazy adjustment and this is really unprecedented. You know, we've never, especially our generation, we've never dealt with anything like this before. So feeling like your whole life is in chaos is normal and that's natural and it's okay to feel that way. And I think that it's, it's super important for people to know that, you know, not to put so much pressure on yourselves because I have a lot of friends too, who are, are struggling with the adjustment and, my my message to them constantly is just like it's okay to not be okay it's okay to be like what the hell is going on it's okay to not be super productive it's okay if you have to lie in your bed for like an entire week and not do any work that's all right because the most important thing in this time is honestly just preserving your mental health and taking care of your spirit and your soul and and listening to your body and and you know just just taking it easy is, is my biggest bit of advice because I, I know that it's, you know, we, we all do want to be able to, to have that adjustment, but it's little baby steps. Take it one step at a time and one day at a time. And, and that's really the most important thing mm-hmm. about yeah, it. Yeah. You, you've got it completely. Yeah, exactly. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Olivia and I talked about this like yeah. earlier in the yeah, podcast amazing. actually yeah. as well, especially as artists, like for some, this challenging period is actually instigating creativity and you know pushing them very true to create more but for others it's not and it's okay for you not to do your art right now if you're not feeling it (laughs) exactly it's true um maybe wrap-up question sure are there any things um you've been doing at home that have you've been finding are like really effective at keeping you like healthy and happy and entertained even yeah (laughs) Yeah, you know what? A, a, a very strange thing that is not like very much like me, and I don't do this that often, has been I've been doing like a lot of research and taking notes. <laughs> and uh, I think that that comes from the fact that I'm not in school, so I'm actually interested in research. <laughs> because I remember when I was in university, I like hated it. It would never, you would never catch me, you know, learning something in my spare time. I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> But now I feel like it's been a kind of fun time for me to... I've been watching a lot of, of documentaries on, on veganism, and I recently made the switch over to vegan, like, a, a few days ago. So, yeah, and I've been planning on it for, like a, like, a couple weeks now. And it's been really exciting to learn about, like, the the impact on the earth, on the animals, on our bodies, especially on sustainability and conservation. 
So that's something that I really enjoyed, actually. And I have, like, a ton of notes. I don't know. Is this video going to be going out anywhere? Um, you okay. could. I, I, well, I'll show you the notes. I don't know. Just because just they're cute. Yeah, just in case. Because I've been doing, like, these real cute notes. Look at this. Ooh. Oh, and look at the little cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've been doing a ton of these notes, but I, I watched this guy named Gary Yurofsky. He talks really passionately. He's, he's uh, you know, super in your face about it, but in a very interesting kind of way. So I've been writing down a whole bunch of notes about that and making them all pretty with like different colors of markers and pens and stuff. And that for me has been a really fun way of consuming media and creating at the same time. Because I watched this, this other video that was all about the balance of consuming media and creating. And I feel like right now, there's so much media being thrown at us that it's so important to find that balance. You know, because if you're constantly having things, you know, just piled on you, it's very difficult to, to maintain sort of semblance of, of balance. But if you're creating at the same time, it can be really helpful, which is why having these notes has been like really fun for me because I get to write my own notes and, you know, I get to do these little doodles and fun sketches and keep it low key because I wanted to, you know, jump back into painting and I wanted to be like, hell yeah, I'm going to do this huge masterpiece. But I just didn't have the inspiration there that I was looking for. So instead I was like, I'm just going to take on something really small scale, really simple, you know, you know, very uh, low pressure. And that's kind of what that's been for me. So that's been really helpful and just, you know, stirring up some inspiration and some excitement about creating and about art again. Um, and also I've been doing like some meditating and yoga, which has been really nice because I think it's important to calm your mind when there's just so much noise. So, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for hopping on the Zoom with us today. Yeah. I actually have one more thing to mention, oh. but I don't know if you want to add this in. This is um, kind of talking about resources, yeah. <laughs> but I'm bringing from our talk yesterday, but I'm bringing this up because I actually, since yesterday, one of the small studios that I work for, which is a dance and fitness studio, um, they're struggling a lot right now because they still don't qualify for any employment insurance and they're located in the East End, so along the Danforth. And um, if you know, there's a lot of small businesses in Danforth and they're mm -hmm. just noticing so many places are filing for bankruptcy, are having to shut down because they can't pay rent. And it's just a very sad time as a small business and especially a small arts business. So I just wanted to add to our resources because I know we talked about resources uh, for you personally, but even as a person, if there's a small business that you like to shop from, like purchase gift cards, like purchase merchandise, try to support them in any way you can because oftentimes they don't qualify for this financial. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And if yeah. you can't like afford to buy gift cards from them or purchase something from them right now, maybe like reach out to them, ask them if there's something for you can sure. do that's like not financial. For some sure. kind of like awareness, sure. promotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, also sure. mentioning it to people, right? I feel like even that is, is an important thing. Like if you can't directly contribute, you can also mention it to your friends and be like, hey, yeah. if you're looking for a business, like take a look at this one. They're really cool. It's so mm -hmm. true. Yeah. Spread the word. I'm honestly so sad. They're honestly the kindest people I've ever worked for. What's it's the, a brother. What's the name of the place? It's called the Pink Studio, and they. Girl, they hold... I've been there. They're oh, so nice. good. I did a like a little Hawaiian class, like dancing class there. It was so oh, fun. Nice. Yeah, so I teach there. But honest, the brother and sister who own it are the kindest people. Like to the point that 
they'd rather not be able to pay rent so that they can keep paying their employees. So like mm. they're still having us teach virtual classes and they're still paying us even though they're unable to like pay their own rent. So they're the kindest people ever and they just keep updating us on how they're doing as a small business and how their friends and partners who are also small business owners are doing and it's just like it's breaking my heart. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. I think that this is this is the honestly the most heartbreaking thing because like I feel like though obviously the fact of this like virus and this outbreak and it's you know putting people into their homes and and kind of freaking people out is is devastating we are seeing really positive impacts on the environment mm -hmm. which has been a really mm -hmm. interesting thing mm -hmm. to notice like hearing about you can like see the, fish in venice <laughs> yeah i was gonna say like the waters in venice were clearing up there's so much like air pollution that's been clearing up it's healing itself rather is it, it's it's kind of a funny thing because it just feels like we think that we have to start doing things to change the environment to heal it but the proof is in the pudding the proof is we need to stop doing things that we've been doing to damage the environment to heal it which is why it's important but it is like the most devastating thing for me is hearing about like the small businesses and the artists that are suffering because I feel like that's the worst part I'm like big businesses and corporations y'all can go down like no tea no shade but I'm like I don't mind watching these sink when it comes yeah. to small businesses and artists that's those are the people who I'm like these are the people who are, it's important to support. But I think that that's also like, this is the time when it's bringing to the forefront the really important things. And that's like the most valuable lesson from this. And, and I do try to take lessons from all of the negative things that happen in my life. It's just that like, we're noticing the important things. We're noticing human connection, you know, human contact, being in contact mm -hmm. with humans. That's so important. We're noticing being distant from our family and friends that's something that's important we're noticing the jobs that are important health workers grocery like people who work at the grocery stores these are the 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 people who are our superheroes you know and we don't notice that day to day until we're in a crisis like this and uh it's the same with small businesses and arts workers these are the people who we need the very most and we haven't been supporting historically so what i'm hoping will come from this will be an influx of support for these smaller businesses and for the people who have not been fairly compensated for what they're contributing to society. And I think that people are really starting to notice that. And I hope that that spurs real change in the future. And it's not just like, a, oh, yeah, I remember when that was a thing. Now let's go back to the way it was. Because the truth is, we just we can't go back to the way it was. You know, this is the time for us to move forward and to make changes and to rebuild something new not just to like survive and then crawl out and then try to do it again. So yeah. Yeah. You just yeah. reminded me of a time where my dad and I were debating and he said something like, why would you become a dancer when you could become a doctor who actually heals people? Artists heal people too. Absolutely. Especially in times like these. It's just, I find it really ironic that like, and I was talking to somebody about this too the other day, how like people are like, Oh yay, the governments are helping us and they're doing so much. And it's like, do you notice that this is the only time that the government is actually helping people and it's when the 1% are in danger? Mm -hmm. Like, in, in, in our past, they have not done anything to help people. Yeah, period. literally took the like entire the public, country period. shutting down. Exactly. It's yeah. like, oh, okay, so when our rich people are suffering, now we're going yeah. to do something. Yeah. And it's like, I see you. <laughs> I see the game you're playing. And you're mm -hmm. not going to win. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
And I think that it like, it's true. It's just, I just, it's so insane to me. I like, can't believe that this is actually happening. I'm having a hard time. Oh, it's unreal. We live in a movie. It really is a movie. I'm like, this is so nuts. I don't understand. And I'm excited for the movies that come out after this girl. Oh, that's just going to be crazy. That's the other thing actually that I will mention quickly is, uh, and I don't want to keep you guys for too long, (laughs) but I just wanted to mention, um, I know like as an actor as well, because I do arts and I also do acting. I know that, people in the acting uh, sector are really struggling because mm. everything has been shut down. All productions have been canceled. And, you know, it's not even, like, postponed at this point. Most of the productions have actually been canceled. Uh, and it's just, like, how do you even recover from this? Because I feel like acting is one of those things, like, you literally need to be in person to do it. You can't, you cannot do it over, like, virtual. You can't you make an acting website. Like, is there's no real other opportunities. So it's a very tricky thing. And I'm curious to see how, how the entertainment industry also comes back from this. Cause I think that's going to be a very strange new world for everyone. And it's so weird because literally everybody consumes, you know, like TV and movies, like how are they yeah. going to feel when they have no more TV to watch? I know, or right? Netflix. What happens when we run out of shows to watch? <laughs> oh God. I also have the fear, though, that this is just going to, like, recovering from this is just going to create bigger gaps, even because even in arts work, there's huge gaps between people who are super successful and make a lot and those who are just starting off. And I feel like coming out of this, that gap is just going to widen because the people who are at the bottom are the ones suffering right now. And the people who are at the top, like probably okay. aren't suffering that much yeah no so they even just like the... stopped making money yeah they they're like well, enough but they're still good yeah <laughs> it's <laughs> true it. it's true which is why like i think it's so important for for unions and for like messages like this to be coming out on all platforms because really the only way i think to try to reconcile that that gap is by having voices heard and that's like the only way to do it um and all I can hope for is that we continue to like push this forward and that, you know, more people get to hear this and more people start to choose to, you know, support locally and, and, you know, also continuing sustainability is another, I don't, goddamn. there's so many things to talk about, but I, like, I just wanted to quickly throw out there also that like mm-hmm. sustainability is a really difficult thing to, to keep in mind. Cause I know, especially with the fact that this is a virus and the fact that people are so concerned about like contracting it everyone's like oh I only want to use single use things and I don't want to do reusable things anymore and I'm like no I'm like that's not the way to do it (laughs) but it's scary because I know that most people are just concerned for their health so I understand why it's happening but at the same time it's it's frustrating because I feel like we've made so many strides towards you know being more conscious of our waste uh but then in in the face of this crisis it's like what what do you do to, I guess, make up for that risk? Mm-hmm. Even people hoarding and stocking up on things, like, that is not sustainable. <laughs> no, and, like, what are you going to do with 40 rolls of toilet paper? <laughs> I know. I'm like, y'all need to stop. And I, I, get the, I get the rush to do that. 
Because, like, my, I'm not going to lie, my first instinct when I heard about it, though I was in Gambia, so I literally didn't have the opportunity to hoard, but, uh, like, when I first heard about it, I was like, oh my god, apocalypse mode, hoard a whole bunch of shit and never leave your house. Like, that was my first instinct. And once other people start hoarding, like, you need to hoard too, because you're like, oh, there's, like, going to be Well, yeah, because you're like, I'm going to run out. But then it was also, like, I saw all these messages of people being like, don't hoard because people who actually need it cannot get their stuff, and I was like, okay, yeah, true. <laughs> Well, another fun fact from Gambia, I got very used to not using toilet paper because <laughs> in a lot of the places that I stayed, there was literally, like, no toilets. It was just, like, a hole in the ground, so I was like... We should all just switch over to bidets. This is the time. Love it. My grandparents, move. they've always had a bidet, you know that, and they moved, like, at the beginning of all of this, and their new place does not have a bidet. No bidet? No bidet. Oh, no. They probably will... <laughs> They probably will put one in when this is all over, but, like, they can't, obviously, do any renovations right now. a bath is kind of like a large bidet. Yes, yeah, it pretty much is the same. Um, Sorry, this is so off topic, but I just wanted to say, also, with the hoarding and the sustainability thing, I also just, like, want people to keep in mind that it's just another way where people need to check their privilege, because even the fact that you're able to go out and buy and so much toilet paper in bulk, some people can't afford to do that. Some people live paycheck to paycheck and can't stock up on groceries in that same way. So even everything that's going on right now, even the social distancing laws and rules, people, the poor minorities, they're disproportionately affected by everything going on. So something to keep in mind for everyone. Some uh, some uh, pharmacies and grocery stores have even started putting limits on certain products. They're like, you yeah. can't buy more than two things of toilet paper or something. Which I think is, it kind of reminds me, um, I took a course earlier this year about the material culture of food, and we looked at, uh, like, rationing coupons during World War II, and there's this kind of, like, weird parallel between Very cool. I was going to say, I was like, it's like rations. It's exactly Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. It really is like rations. No, it's true. I think it's great. I mean, I think that these are the measures that we need to have in place. I think that these are the kind of measures that we've needed to have, have in place for decades, like, it's, it's the same in a lot of areas of life. I feel like there need to be rations on, on you know, and, and more regulations also for factories, for companies, for output of pollution. Like, mm-hmm. we could have stopped all of this and the global ca- climate crisis. And one of the reasons also for this is because, you know, there's a lack of biodiversity. And because we're doing so much deforestation, we're getting in contact with wild animals that we normally wouldn't be getting in contact with. So viruses pass along to different hosts. When animals are crowded into very close spaces, the viruses also will travel to new hosts. So these are all, you know, it all boils down to, at least in my opinion, it boils down to the climate crisis. And it's like, these are things that we could have avoided if we had protected our planet in the first place. But we haven't. And so now we kind of have to live with those consequences. But it is important to be setting these regulations in place because a lot of these are what are protecting people from further dangers and protecting our planet. So it's like, I really hope that they continue to put in, in regulations like that. You know, like one, one, I saw that in my grocery store too. They were like, because of the crisis, like you can only take one, like two cans of soup or something per, mm-hmm. per person or mm-hmm. family or whatever, or not by family, it would be per person. Um, but yeah, it's like, yeah, it just, it, for me, it's, it's very logical. It makes sense. I'm like, mm-hmm. honestly, these, these are the kind of, of, of rules from the government that I back. <laughs> these are the kind of the of regulations that I back because I'm like you're actually looking out for the well-being of the population you know of, of more than than your select group of, of the elite you know what I mean mm-hmm. so 
know, I'm excited for it. I'm like, good, put in more, more regulations, all of them. <laughs> Protect people, make sure everybody gets enough. Coming from another perspective, though, because I am like I'm part Italian and it's something my family and I were talking about. It's normal for Italians to already they have we have like what we call cantinas, which is usually like a cold room in your home. And it's normal for them to stock up on things. But we're talking about the reason for that. And it comes from just like an old war mindset, like all of our ancestors from Italy. It's this mindset like they came from the war like a similar switch situation as now where it's like, let's stock up on things. And that kind of just got passed along to people. Right. I mean, I get it. Like I do get it. It, it makes sense. Like I get the instinct of self-preservation, but I, yeah, I think yeah, that, no, that it's crazy. It's like, <laughs> and it's, it's also, that's the other thing that it's, it's when it's like cultural and when it's traditional, it's very hard to separate that from mm-hmm. morals. Cause I find that cultures and traditions they set beliefs in you that are, are kind of like very difficult to challenge in, in every mm-hmm. circumstance, you know, in, in mm-hmm. every situation. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that especially, uh, like I know a lot of Europeans, I'm German, so I, I feel you. <laughs> like we get, we have a lot of like, Europeans have really strong beliefs, <laughs> like their tradition, you cannot challenge them. Nope. <laughs> um, which is why I think it's also important for the younger generation because, you know, we are, I find more open-minded just with, how progressive we've been in, in terms of like acceptance of people and of, of genders of sexualities of all sorts of stuff like I think that the younger generations are just generally more open-minded so I think it's important for us to start to set a new status quo of challenging you know the the parts of our culture that are hurtful to others because that's really all there is to it right like absolutely like maintain your your traditions and stuff but when it's hurting other people or damaging the environment or animals or people it's like that's when we kind of have to start to question you know what we what we've known for so long versus what is is healthy going forward for sure I'm I'm lucky I actually still have great-grandparents alive um and it's I'm lucky because they they're pretty like open to you challenging them it's like over the years their views like though they are still kind of old-fashioned but over the years, their views have changed because just my family gets into it with each other. But it's so cute. I called them, I called them over Easter weekend, you know, to wish them happy Easter, even though I'm not religious. But like we celebrate as a family and we couldn't be together. And they were so cute. They're like, oh, we're going to miss having the family together, yelling at each other and hollering and fighting. <laughs> but that's basically what our get like our religious get togethers are just like us challenging their religious and cultural views. And they love it. Yeah. <laughs> they find it so funny. Oh, that's so I, love that. I think that's great. I think that's amazing. I mean, those are some of the most fun conversations to have. Yeah. And like that's that's the thing that I love the most is is when you can open up those conversations with people. Like there's um a show on Netflix, uh what is it called? Ugly Delicious. Have you guys seen it? Mm, I've seen the like the advertisement for it, but yeah. I haven't watched it. It's kinda I really like it. It's it's like very much like a feel good show. Like it, it just kinda like shows you the history of food and like the way that it's grown and and the main guy, I think his name is David Chang, he is uh like a really forward thinking chef. He loves to innovate and to do new things and to try like fusions and you know what I mean? Like to create very uh new forms of food and mix together different types of cuisine and there's a lot of other chefs on it who are like super traditional and like no this is the way they've always done it this is the way we're always going to do it and it's really funny kind of seeing how they bounce their ideas off of each other I get very much the same vibe as what you were talking about and like 
you know, the kind of almost the like newer generation and the older generation, like challenging each other on what's the best way to be. And uh, I, I find it very entertaining because personally, the way that I kind of operate is like, there is no best way to be. There is no better way. There are just different ways and all of those ways are beautiful. So, you know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I want to have like a traditional pasta. And sometimes I'm like, hell yeah, throw some like soy sauce in that. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I like to enjoy both, but I think it, it is very entertaining. Definitely seeing, especially when people are like super passionate about it. I'm like, give me some popcorn. Yeah. I'm just gonna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think something, um, this is kind of s- semi on topic with COVID-19. Uh, I think what we're realizing too is that like, m- we're really keying into the fact that food is so important to our culture and to our kind mm-hmm. of to our identities. So when it's limited and when you are limited, it, it makes you, it does put constraints on you, but it also kind of opens up your ability for like experimentation and like trying new things. Cause it's like, Oh, well this is the only thing available. So I guess I'll purchase it and make something out of it. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, you make do with what you have at home. Um, so it's kind of fun to like, be, cause we're finding like w- ways of reinventing our like food culture. And I, do appreciate that aspect of all of this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. fun. I, and like, I had a conversation with a friend about this as well recently about how, like, um, for me, how veganism has, you know, it has in a way limited some of the in- ingredients. I don't even like using the word that like that, but that I use. Um, but I actually find that really exciting for me. That stirs up my creativity because I'm like, because I have less things to use now I have to think of more creative ways of using them. Mm-hmm. And it's the same as, like, my photography. I had a, a lens that was, I think, it was, oh, God, I, I couldn't even say it. I think it was, like, 50 millimeters to 80 millimeters, so it could adjust. And then I have a, another lens that's just, I think, 50 millimeters. And my photography with, with the simply 50 millimeter lens has been so much better than my other photography because I found that it was difficult to you know, come up with a concept and like find the right angle and choose the right zoom and like place myself. Whereas when I only had, you know, a certain frame to work with, then I was able to be creative in other ways. So it wasn't like, so it's like looking at a menu and there's like a million things on it and you're like, dude, (laughs) I don't know what to get versus if there's like a really detailed, like five, five thing menu, you're like, Ooh, okay. Now let's go. You know? And there are so many um, plant-based ingredients out there that you don't really think about until you're you're forced to think about them. It's really it's really fun. Um, I think a lot of people who go plant-based actually end up being more adventurous in their eating. For that oh reason. yeah, I have so many recipes I'm stoked to cook. I'm so excited <laughs> because I just get to be crazy with it and try different things. I can't wait. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, guys, I don't want to cut this short, but I have work to do. It's all good, girl. Get to your work. We proud. Okay, ladies. Thank you for having me. I hope you. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. This was fun. I enjoyed it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You guys take care and thank you. Me too. Bye. Bye. So again, that was our full conversation with Sydney Cooney. You can find her on Instagram or on her website. We'll link both of those in the episode description. And again, if you like this, make sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on Instagram at purpleglowmag and go on our website, purpleglowmag.com. Thanks again for listening, and you know what to do. Stay purple and glowing.